Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSP Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Some of the most recognizable leaders that we know of did not initially set out to become leaders. Their desire was to make positive contributions, to make an impact without necessarily needing to be in the spotlight. Unforeseen circumstances, challenges, or the need may arise from time to time that will require someone to step up and to step into a position of influence. The truth is that you don't need a title to be a leader, but you do need to act. My twin and I are honored to have my good friend, Jim Rafferty, join us today. Jim is a marketing and communications consultant and principal of JM Marketing. That's J-M-R-K-E-T-I-N-G. LLC. It's in Baltimore, Maryland, where we reside. He's a former radio announcer, a program director, and he now puts three decades of marketing experience to work in helping businesses communicate better, writing in a conversational and entertainment style. He's also a former Boy Scout leader and a story of which serves as a catalyst for his book, Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss, and Life. Jim, welcome to the Twins Talking Up program. Thanks so much, guys. Great to be here. Appreciate it. From time to time, as Dave and I both speaking, you'll hear one of us say that this is Dana or this is David. So we want to make sure our audience know, those who are not watching but listen to the podcast, uh, who is speaking. So this is Danny. Jim, it's a true pleasure to have you joining us. Uh, as David said earlier, you and here are great friends. And I know that our audience will love hearing about you and your story. You have a book entitled Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss and Life, was born from much of what my brother stated in, in the introduction. So something unimaginably occurred, which set you on a path towards becoming a leader. Because as Dave said earlier, not everybody sets out when they're first born, I'm going to become a leader. Sometimes it just happens. But you became a leader by accident. Can you give the backdrop of how you were thrusted into this position and then how this laid the framework, not only for the book, but for your own leadership and entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. uh, So back in 2008, um, right locally here in Cockeysville, an attorney named John Browning and his wife, Tammy, and their two younger sons, Greg and Ben, were all shot to death by their 15-year-old son, their oldest son, Nick, um, which is just horrifying, obviously. And, you know, I, I try to be very upfront about this. That that Browning tragedy, as it came to be known, had such wide and deep repercussions throughout our community because John and Tammy were everywhere as volunteers. And, you know, my little slice of it really, in, in the grand scope of all that, it is, you know, it's probably not all that important, but it changed things for me. Um, John was the scoutmaster of Troop 328 of the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, and our son, Matt, who was 12 at the time, was a member of that troop. And about three days later, I was the new scoutmaster of the troop, which 
you know, maybe it doesn't sound like a big deal, but I had been a Boy Scout for all of about two weeks myself as a kid. I didn't care for it. I had uh, zero experience in terms of having had a position in the troop or any, you know, scouting experience specific. And it really was not an outdoorsman in terms of camping or hiking or all the things you want in your scoutmaster. So, you know, at a moment when the future of the organization, which was, you know, Troop 328 was about 25 young men at the time, you know, suddenly reduced by three plus their, you know, very much beloved scoutmaster. And we really didn't know if the troop would survive, honestly. And so it was very odd that they turned to the guy with, you know, zero experience at that point. Um, but for some reason I said yes. And that was one of the most life-changing things I ever did because those next five years of learning on the job and some of the adventures we had and the, the leadership lessons and just the physical challenges of some of the, the camping and hiking and the, the things that we did, really uh, prepared me for a lot of stuff that I didn't know was coming, uh, as you as you alluded to, Danny. Specifically, a few years after that, 2012, I pretty sudden, very suddenly lost the job that I'd had for almost uh, 21 years at that point. And I mean, it had never occurred to me to do anything other than have somebody else write me a paycheck and provide my health care and all that. And the problem was there was not a whole ton of demand for a, a 51-year-old self-taught marketer. And so I wound up hanging out my own shingle as a marketing consultant. That's nine years ago. And it's been, you know, amazing. I mean, I've never been happier, never looked to work more. However, however you want to measure success, I, I feel like I've checked, checked all the boxes for me, which may not be the same as somebody else's boxes. So that there's no doubt in my mind that that first part of that story, the Scoutmaster experience directly fueled the second part. That is fantastic. This is Danny. And uh, Jim, I really do appreciate you giving our audience the backdrop and how you were thrust into the leadership role. And I also think it's really amazing that we get a chance to dive a little bit more into your book. It, it is just an interesting thought process to show up to meetings and all of a sudden the tragedy that took place and now you're thrust into a leadership role. So there's a lot of things happening all at once. And as you said, you had about 25 young men in the group and the, the troop. So you had all these things happening all at once. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more about your book. But I think what I'm thinking about here, what you're saying is that you're now being thrust and you're having to step out of your comfort zone, right? So you were there, you're, you're excited about where things were because of the tragedy. And that's something that, was, that Dave and I both present. And that's the message that we want to make sure that our audience hears about is that sometimes you need to be prepared for it. And you spent a good portion of your book, I think it was the first quarter of your book, actually addressing this very importance. For those listening, how can they find the courage to also step out of their comfort and be able to step into this leadership role? Because I don't want to give away your whole book, but I, I do believe that there are certain aspects that only you can teach about at this moment and tell the audience a little bit more about. Sure. Um... The first thing I would say actually comes at the very end of the book, and that is don't be like me. Don't don't wait for a tragedy to throw you into something new. Don't wait to get kicked out of the nest at work to challenge yourself and to do that thing because out of our comfort zone is, you know, where we grow. That's where where the really good things happen. And that's, you know, clearly been true for me. And that doesn't mean we always want to do it and that we have to live outside of our comfort zones. I mean, to this day, there's no bigger homebody creature of routine than I am, but you know, we have to challenge ourselves. I, um, in the speech I gave a few weeks ago, yeah, talking about this, I said, you know, there, 
if uh, a friend of mine likes to quote the, the wise old preacher who says, God loves you just the way you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Mm. You know, we, we need to be moving and growing and, you know, heading forward in some way, shape or form. That's where the good stuff happens when we challenge ourselves. And it's always, you know, I don't think it's something we ever master. Um, again, towards the end of the book, you know, well, I'll go back to the beginning that you alluded to, Danny. Um, you know, certainly being sort of thrust into the volunteer job for which you have no experience for the organization whose future is in doubt. That's a step out of your comfort zone. But from there, there are several stories in the book about the, you know, the very literal ways that, you know, the scouting program took me out of the comfort zone, you know, in some of our hiking and camping adventures and, you know, just challenging environmental circumstances besides the, you know, learning the leadership lessons on the job. But the, um, the thing we miss, I think, a lot these days when we talk about getting out of our comfort zone is, you know, once you do it, and you, you take that step, you do the thing that scares you a little bit, the thing that challenges you a little bit, take a minute to give yourself a pat on the back, you know, and give yourself credit for trying, even if it didn't turn out the way that you hoped. Because what gets lost, I think, is, you know, we, we're so busy now and we're so connected all the time and our phones are chiming and buzzing and dinging at us all day long and we lose that time for reflection. You know, and I like to say, I didn't wake up in, September of 2012 and say, hey, I hiked down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back, therefore I'm going to launch my business. You know, the connections between those two events came months, maybe years later when you look back and you think, wow, whatever, whatever gave me the guts to think I could do that. And that's when the answers become clear. So I think that the missing piece for that trip out of the conference zone for a lot of people is to take the time to look in the rearview mirror for a second. This is David, by the way, Jim, and I do appreciate you sharing that very point. And before I get into a follow-up to that, I want to remind everyone that's listening to our program right now that if you are enjoying this content and even more the guests that we're fortunate enough to have on, make sure you subscribe to this program. Become a follower, share with those that you are around, and continue to make every effort to get programs like this out there because we provide incredible insight and resources for you in terms of your growth and your professional uh, career. Uh, Jim, you mentioned the pat on the back and, and I've heard you share this because not too long ago, you were invited to be a speaker at Insight Connect here in Baltimore, Maryland. And before you got up to speak, you actually invited me to come and listen to the way you were forming your presentation. And by the way, I'm honored by that. And I appreciate- And, and thank you when, for doing it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I always appreciate when people recognize my skill set and what I do professionally. And so what I love doing is helping professionals speak to their true authentic voice and to present their message in a way that's gonna impact the audience. And I believe without a doubt, you did an incredible job because there's so much in your book. And for those of us that are listening to the podcast, make sure you pick up this book, Leader by Accident, incredible book. What you're gonna love in this book, and we're gonna talk about a little bit more in this program, are some of the stories that Jim in, includes in this. But you're going to be able to see his heart. You're gonna see his style. You're gonna be able to see the way he carries himself. And everything that he does, it's amazing because he carries himself in such a way that you, you feel as if you're at comfort, you're, you're at ease, you're able to speak with him as if you're just having a simple conversation. That's the way Jim is. But Jim, in that presentation you gave, and I, I do want to talk about it, if you don't mind, we're going to go into it a little bit and into your book, because the book was an amazing 
snapshot of who you are as a person. And in that speech, you spoke about getting out of your comfort zone. And as you alluded to, even in a car, you got this big windshield in front of you, but you, you have a rear view mirror for a reason that you've got to push the pause button sometimes to reflect. And that doesn't necessarily mean you go back and stay that way, but you've got to be able to appreciate how far you've come. You've got to be able to appreciate the steps of courage you've taken in your life so that you can become the leader or the person of character that you are. Can you speak a little bit more about some practical ways we could give ourselves that quote unquote pat on the back and how we can use that as a motivator for going forward? Because I think that there are so many things that we could do to remind ourselves that yes, we indeed are capable of so much more. We are, yeah, and and yeah, exactly right. What I said in the speech, you know, there's that saying that's, you know, a lot of people have heard, I guess, about you know the windshield so much bigger than the rearview mirror because we need to be looking ahead and not looking back. And and you know, fair enough. Okay, there's there's some truth to that, but there are lessons to be learned in that rearview mirror, and the lessons are there. Like I said, even if that trip out of the comfort zone, that thing you tried to do didn't turn out the way you'd hoped. You know, there, there are still lessons there to be learned for the next time. And a lot of times I think we're in such a hurry to get on to the next thing that we don't, you know, we, we don't take the time to, to unearth those nuggets that are there waiting for us. That's true. This is Danny. I think uh, I love that aspect of, um, I never would have thought about driving down the road, looking in the rearview mirror and then reflecting how far you come. Uh, I, I love that analogy. I love the analogy you said also about patting yourself on the back. And, and learning to motivate yourself and appreciate uh, ourselves and where we're at. These are all very important aspects of uh, developing yourself. When I think about the power of gratitude, for example, throughout your book and from what David has shared with me, and as most of our audience knows, Dave and I speak almost every day. If we're not talking on the phone, we text each other. We're always sending something to each other. But you're not stingy in giving praise. You do not withhold what you're grateful for, you write about being able to identify three things that you're grateful for. You touch on how this needs to become a habit. This is certainly a call to action for you, not just for myself or for my brother, but for everybody in the audience. What are some, what are some of the areas that you're grateful for and how do you advise people to get started with gratitude journals? Because we all hear about gratitude journals and, and how do you advise about that as well? I know that sometimes it's important to go back and read, read about what you're grateful for, but how do you mm -hmm. advise people on that as well? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I know people who journal and I think that's great. I do not. I think it's more important that you do something than the what it is that you do. Mm. For me, it's maybe a little simpler. I just the last thing I do before I fall asleep every night. And I started to do this right around the same time I became an entrepreneur. Very last thing I do is think of three things that happened that day that I'm grateful for. And some days it is a real challenge to come up with three things, right? And other days it's a real challenge to decide which three things. And that too is a really useful exercise in, in what's most important in our lives, you know? And you talk about, you know, praising people and, and sort of that, that message of gratitude was a recurring one in, you know, my time as Scoutmaster. I really tried to to inculcate that into the scouts as much as possible because for all the same reasons, right? We're so busy, they're even more connected than we are at that age, right? You know, and we have to take the time to look around us and appreciate the little things because they're 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 not so little, right? Um, but I made it a point, I think, you know, one of the things that I think made me successful as a scout master was I really made it a point to uh, you know, know the boys outside of what they did as scouts mm -hmm. and celebrate their 
own things that they had that they were grateful for in front of the group. Sort of, sort of a variant on the old management thing about you know praise in public, criticize in private. But that if somebody had a birthday, if they made the sports team, if they made all county band or something like that, we would you know be sure to include that at the end of the meeting so everybody knew it and they could celebrate each other's achievements and and really get to know each other better. And I, I think that helped bring the troop together a lot. Um, I should say that you know a year after the Browning tragedy, uh, the troop was thriving. It was larger in numbers. It was busier in activities. And you know that's not because they had me as their scoutmaster it's because they had they were a really good resilient amazing group of young men who had a leadership team of you know myself and three assistant scoutmasters and a bunch of other adults who stepped up and took on more responsibility in the wake of that tragedy to make sure that the troop would survive and thrive um, so you know a lot of people did a lot of things um, in in my case that all translated to the next step into entrepreneurship and that's why there's a book but you know the the success of troop 328 is not the story of Jim Rafferty it's the story of a lot of people that's fantastic this is Danny again before Dave jumps in I, I see he wants to say something I, I love the aspect of going to bed with three things you're grateful for every day and I would say that uh, times that I have a hard time sleeping there's just too many things in my mind. And I would like to take that as a call to action that if you go to bed and you think about three things that you're grateful for, I'm assuming if you do this every day as a, as a habit, what we call a habitual pattern, it actually helps you sleep better at night as well. So just uh, do, you, do you get better rest that way as well, Jim? I sleep pretty well, but honestly, that's I'm one of those lucky people where that's just never been an issue for me either way. So I, I can't credit better sleep with that, but um, I'm, it doesn't hurt. I'm sure of that. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSB Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Whether you are hosting a major conference, a specialized training, or a year-end corporate event, Finding the right keynote speaker or breakout speaker should be at the top of your priority list. Partner with Elite Speaker Services to book speakers according to your specifications and needs. Elite Speaker Services has the depth of speakers and the experience to bring you peace of mind and a successful event. Go to EliteSpeakerServices.com for all your event needs. Let us deliver the message your audience needs to hear. Let us deliver beyond your expectations. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code. 
at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Yeah, this is David, Jim, and I appreciate your, your honesty with that because I know for so many people, having an understanding of the spirit of gratitude or embracing the mindset of being grateful can bring about more peace. And, and I love how you develop your own routine that every evening, every night before you go to bed, what are the three things I'm grateful for? And it gets you to pinpoint uh, that we have so much in our lives that we should be grateful for so many blessings. If we just think about the step we took today, that was different from the, from the step we had yesterday. If we think about just the conversations we had, we think about that one good cup of coffee for some odd reason, it was the best cup of coffee you ever had. There's so much to be grateful for. So I do appreciate the call to action uh, as Dan mentioned. Uh, I want to share something that's interesting and, and bring this to really our audience's attention that there's different organizations out there to help shape young leaders. And you were part of the Boy Scouts and I love how you've given so much credit to other people that have supported that troop. And the truth is when you decide to take that call and you do answer that call, that it will inspire other people to join as well. And that's what happened. And I appreciate you giving kudos to those individuals. The last two years, Jim, I've been privileged to have been asked to write letters of recommendation for two Eagle Scout candidates. They both achieved that highest honor. And and I'll tell you, it's something about seeing their joy and not just asking, but to be able to aspire to that rank. Not everybody in America can say, hey, I became an Eagle Scout. Not everybody in, in the world can say, hey, I'm a part of that fraternity. But all of them have to go through this Eagle Scout project. And I wanted to ask you to briefly share your time as a father. I know it's hard sometimes to disconnect dad from leader, Eagle Scout troop leader, or or when I was coaching, dad from a basketball coach. Can you touch upon that that balance and what you saw in yourself and your son when he embarked on his own Eagle project? Because I believe if I write correctly, he had to, uh, or at least he took on the challenge of supporting the city schools and collected over 200 instruments to be able to make that happen. But tell me about what you went through as a father and as an Eagle Scout master to be able to say, this is my son taking on this project to earn that rank. Yeah, you're correct. Matt's uh, Eagle Scout project was uh, soliciting donations of used musical instruments for Baltimore City Schools. And yes, he came up with over 200. We Somewhere we have a really fantastic photo of him uh, you know, with all the instruments spread out in the backyard and he's sitting in the chair in the middle with a cello. You know. uh, but um, so, so that was very gratifying as, as it was to have a ringside seat. And I talk about this a little bit in Leader by Accident. Um, you know, being Scoutmaster and being along on those trips gave me access that we don't always have to our own children, which sounds funny, you know, but they get to be teenagers and a lot of most of their free time is spent away from us doing school activities and stuff. And the really cool thing about scouting and campfires is that after a while, they sort of forget you're there, you know, <laughs> and it's like observing animals in the wild, you know, they let their hair down and they have fun with their friends and you get to see who your kids really are, which was kind of cool. But um, I would also back up to the very beginning as far as, you know, our son, Matt, went. Um, when I became Scoutmaster, I, I, it became gradually clear over about two days that I was going to be asked and that there probably was not a plan B at that point. And before I accepted, I had a conversation with Matt, who, again, was 12 years old at the time and sounds odd to give a 12-year-old veto power over a decision like that. But I made it really clear to him that I didn't 
I was willing to take on the job and do my best, but I didn't want to do it if he felt that it was going to, you know, ruin his scouting experience in any way because dad was always there, you know, and he said, no, he was okay with it. And the rest was history. But I think that was kind of a critical moment in our relationship too. Yeah. I love that. This is David again, Jim. And as a father, I know the, the, the balance that comes with trying to be a great support and give them flexibility to learn to speak their own heart and their own mind. And, and so it couldn't have been easy. Uh, when I was in Los Angeles and I was leading a ministry, a church out there for our listeners, they may or may not know that I'm a minister as well. And I remember just the, the challenge of leading such a large group and how busy I was. And my wife said something to the, to the extent of, or to the effect of, if we save the world, if you save the world, lose your children, what did you do? And I remember having to have that talk with my children. They were very young at the time and saying, you know, what do you believe will help you grow? What will help you? And, and in a sense, you did that with your son. And I, and I can't tell you how it's bonded me with my children in ways that um, I don't know if, 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 if it would have ever happened if it were not for that conversation. And, and I, I'm certain that you and your son are super close. And, and that was probably just a, another stone in building that foundation with him. So kudos to you for, for being willing to have that talk with your son. I love that. I want to go a little further, if you don't mind, Jim, into your presentation that you gave. And, and I know you touch on this in your book, or at least throughout the pages of your book. You talk about the brilliance of six more words, just something simple. Uh, could you touch on that? And, and how, how does something as simple as six more words correlate to a corporate organizational culture? And uh, I just wanted to get you to touch on that a little bit here as we go forward into your book. Sure. There, there's a section in the, in the, you know, the presentation that you heard and also in the book. And, and really what it does it, it brings together three completely unrelated stories from, you know, two from around the time of scouting, one before I was scoutmaster, one after I was scoutmaster, and one way back when I was in college. But it all were examples to me of, you know, saying something that we thought was just a casual comment, a throwaway question, small talk, whatever you want to call it, that turned out to have a much bigger impact on the other person than anticipated. In, in my case, it was something I said to one of the scouts. Uh, my son, Matt, said something to me that changed things a whole lot uh, six months later when they asked me to be scoutmaster. And then a, a third story from, from back in college and my, my very first radio job that's sort of funny and horrifying at the same time. But in all, in all three cases, it was funny. I realized as I was starting to stitch these stories together in my head that what was said was six words. Exactly, you know, co just coincidence, but you know, six words I said to a scout, six words Matt said to me, six words a former boss said to me at the radio station that really changed things in, in you know, kind of a seismic fashion in a couple of cases. And the, the tie into that to, you know, as I, as I said in the presentation, you know, oh, well, so what? What does that have to do with me sitting here after breakfast waiting to get on with my business day? And the answer is in, you know, also in the book, there's a quote from Tom Peters, the In Search of Excellence guy. And I, I don't have it word for word, but it's something to the effect of, you know, organizational culture is shaped by the way the boss greets the receptionist as she walks in the door in the morning. Organizational culture is shaped by the casual comments the boss makes on the way to her desk. Organizational culture is shaped by the tone of the first half a dozen emails the boss responds to in her first 30 minutes of the day. You know, in other words, 
the words we use, the little things that we think are throwaway casual stuff are really not. They can have a, a vital impact on our organizational culture. And, you know, we spend so much time and money and effort chasing the organizational culture and employee engagement and those, those types of things that we don't realize that sometimes it's that simple. You know, and that, that people look to us, especially when people are looking to us for leadership. And I would say that's everybody on the planet, regardless of whether we have a leadership title or not. Somebody, a parent, a child, a sibling, a coworker is looking to you for leadership at some point in your life, right? Um, and when they are, the, you know, the words we use really mean things and it's easy for them to be interpreted in ways that we did not intend and that can be a really good thing as it was in a couple of the stories in, in leader by accident or it cannot be a good thing but we need to be aware of it yeah this is david again jim and you're right words do matter and what we say can impact the organization the people that we're leading and it's so important that we understand that we weigh them we measure them and we can see the impact of them down the road. We can talk, we talk about the turnover ratio in the organization. That's one way. Because we know that people don't leave uh, organizations. They leave people. And they leave because they're not being led in an encouraging way or a way that would uh, inspire them to want to be their best. Uh, I want to ask you to do something here, if this is okay, Jim. You, you spoke about your time at the radio station. Can you give the audience, without going, I know we want them to buy the book, but I was so inspired by how gracious your boss was with you. Can you share that story and why uh, that changed your path going forward? Because I, I, I can't tell people that, the people that have helped me the most in my growth personally and professionally have been those who've been the most gracious with me. Because yeah. I've blown it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all blow it. Uh, but what's inspiring is to realize that you can build on that and you can go forward when someone is giving you that, that right hand of fellowship, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit about the time that you were at the radio station and what happened and what your boss actually said that inspired you and shaped your future? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, yeah, and, I, and I'll do the short version here and not tell the whole story. But the, the bottom line was I was eight months into my radio career at my very first job. I was still in college, but it was not a college station. It was a real commercial for-profit station in Ithaca, New York. And my very last shift of that school year in May, I unthinkingly played a song that was really the wrong thing at the wrong time. And listeners were very upset. And I fully expected that I would be fired for it because it was certainly a fireable offense. And what happened instead was that when I finished, I walked out of the studio into the lobby and waiting for me was not my boss, the program director, but his boss, the general manager. And he didn't say, you're fired. And he didn't say, what on earth were you thinking, Rafferty? And, you know, he didn't even say, oh, I don't know, I'm going to have to think about this one, come back in September and we'll see if you still have a job. He did none of those things. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I'm sorry that happened to you. I know you didn't do it on purpose. Have a great summer. We'll see you back here in the fall. So there's your six words. I'm sorry that happened to you. And that just made such an impact on me to, you know, the, of all those things he ever did, he went straight to forgiveness. And that was the point I made in this presentation that you heard, David, was, you know, we talk about corporate culture. And right now, especially, what do we hear from business leaders, right? We can't find enough good people to hire. We can't keep our good people. Well, 
how much more likely would those good people be to join your organization and stay there if word got around that your culture was one where the default was forgiveness, mm. right? You know, which sounds right. We're not going to run ads on Indeed that say, come join our forgiving culture, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> but, you know, if they, when employees know that the whole ton of bricks isn't coming, come down on their head with every little mistake, then they start to do the things we say we want our employees to do, right? Like take ownership of stuff and, and take responsibility for things and stop running to you, their boss, to cross every T and dot every I because they, they, they feel empowered to do their own work and emotionally secure at work. And that's what we say we want, but our actions don't always lead to it. This is Danny. Uh, I love that story. I, I think that Jim, it's fantastic to hear that those six words, I'm sorry that happened to you. And to know that you're really cared for as a person first, more than anything else. And as David said, and he alluded to this earlier, that people don't necessarily leave jobs. They leave bad managers. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. You know, people join companies and they quit bosses. Exactly. So you, you, you obviously were in a great situation with a great work culture. And I love that story. And let's talk a little bit more about storytelling, because I think as speakers, we all have our unique strengths. Dave has a unique strength. I have a unique strength. But one of your unique strengths, Jim, is storytelling. And that story right there just impacted me. It just made me think about all the clients that Dave and I consult uh, on a regular basis. And we find out that the corporate culture itself is not necessary in a peaceful manner. It's chaotic at times. So one of your strengths is effective storytelling, its ability to just really connect with people. It's a way to inspire your audiences. How did you come into this aspect of having this as your unique style, the ability to tell these stories, the ability to draw people in, the ability to inspire audiences? Was it just because of that one incident or was it over time? How did you come to this unique uh, I think it's it's a whole variety of things over a whole lot of years, honestly. And, you know, David, uh, said something a little bit, a little while back that I've heard a lot from people. And that is, you know, Jim, when I sit down and read this book, I feel like I'm having a conversation with you. And that's, you know, very much intentional. And I'm, I'm so happy every time I hear that from people. Um, part of the storytelling, I think, honestly, comes out of my radio background. I was, you know, full-time radio person for about 12 years way back when. And you learn to write conversationally. You learn to write for the ear, we used to call it in radio. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd say to talk to people and not to talk at them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that, that sort of naturally lends itself to a lot of the work that I do as a marketer, both, you know, when I had a job doing that for 20 years and now, you know, doing my own consulting thing. Because so much of, you know, marketing requires us to talk to people, right? To engage them and not just be you know, talking over their heads with stuff. And probably that, that skill set in particular was sharpened during my time with the scouts because all of a sudden at the end of every weekly meeting, you've got 25 teenagers standing in a circle and you have to hold their attention for a couple of minutes. And we are wired as human beings to respond to stories and to retain better what we hear if it's in the form of a story. It's been proven over and over again. There, there's a, um, a book that I reference in my own book called um, Conversations That Win the Complex Sale that really takes a good, deep, deep dive into storytelling as a sales tool. Uh, and if that's a, you know, an interest of yours, I would highly recommend. Uh, it's about 10 years old, but it it's, doesn't matter. It's a, very, it's a very good book. 
Um, but, you know, stories have power. And I think that's, you know, if you want somebody to be engaged, to remember something, you do better if you put it in the form of a story. And I did that a lot with the scouts in the form of the scoutmaster minutes at the end of every meeting. A lot of those revolved around stories and things, you know, simply as a, a mechanism to hold their attention. And that's really what you, and, and this is Dana, by the way, Jim, and that's really what you do now in terms of your own business, Jim. You help businesses craft the right story to connect with their audience. And I appreciate that. I know you and I've had conversations about even social media and how mm. organizations can just be aloof, not realizing that their brand is out there. And even what they say in those little characters on the tweets and what they say on Instagram or what they put on Facebook and, and LinkedIn all reflect to the general, what we call brand. What is your story? And that's what needs to be emphasized. So I appreciate you making that point as well. Yeah, it's amazing how often I'll, I, over these nine years as a consultant, have sat down with a prospect and they tell me about our business and they say, well, the most important things here are A, B, and C. And I say, well, you know, none of those are on the homepage of your website <laughs> or, you know, the most important thing we do is this. And I had to go three menu levels deep to find it. So let's, let's fix that and put it front and center, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's the, the ability to tell a story to craft your message in such a way that reflects what you really are, I think, is something I, I spend a fair bit of time on. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Are you projecting the right image to your market? Are you optimizing your name recognition and presence online? Elite Public Image is a leader in strategic communications and marketing solutions, ranging from public relations, brand communications, and content marketing strategy to social media and reputation management for businesses professionals, and VIPs of all types. Whether you're looking to develop a particular brand or need a brand refresh, look no further than Elite Public Image. Visit ElitePublicImage.com and let Elite put their experience to work for you. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. This is Danny. I love how you talked about at your scout meetings, you would uh, often be telling stories. And you designed your book around what's commonly known within the scout community, the Boy Scouts. So if I already don't understand, it's the Boy Scout. Uh, as a Scout Master Minute. What is the Scout Master Minute and why is it so important to hold on to these seemingly simple and yet profound nuggets of wisdom? Yeah, so the Scout Master Minute is essentially a little mini homily <laughs> that at the end of each weekly meeting, you know, the boys form a circle, we go over any last minute announcements, that kind of thing. And then the Scoutmaster delivers a little message that hopefully sends them out the door with a positive, motivational, inspirational thought. And a lot of troops don't do it, either the, you know, the scoutmaster that's not their thing or for whatever reason, and that's okay. Uh, but when I became scoutmaster, I thought, wow, I 
do not know how to tie knots or three ways to start a fire without matches, but I think giving a homily to a captive audience is probably something I can do. So I, I put a lot of work into those and it was very gratifying to me that a number of our scouts in, in reminiscing over their, about their scouting careers at their Eagle Scout ceremonies mentioned those Scoutmaster minutes as a, a source of inspiration. And yeah, I, as I, after I did them, my, my routine was I would never write them down beforehand. I would deliver them to the scouts and then I would type them up the next day. So I sort of kept an archive mostly so I wouldn't repeat myself. And so I use those throughout leader by accident. I share the message that I shared with the scouts and then take that same message and try to translate it for something that's meaningful for, for you and me and, you know, people in business, people making their way through life. I love that. This is David, by the way, Jim, that you can make something very, very simple but it can be great, a great opportunity to bring people and pull them all together. And, and sometimes we can look at our speeches as leaders. We have so much we want to share, so much we want to convey. But the truth is the, the tribe isn't going to remember all that. Your, your team isn't going to be able to hold on to all that. But what can you say that they can walk away with that one nugget of inspiration, that one moment of uh, that jolt that's going to inspire them? And so I really love how the book, as Dan mentioned, was designed around what we call those Scoutmaster Minutes. And, and that's really so important. And I love that. I mean, it's such a great way to form the book together, Jim. And it's such a reflection of who you are. What I wanted to do, Jim, is, is kind of highlight a few passages, I call it, from your book. And if you're listening today, make sure you pick up Jim's book, Leader by Accident. And it's such a great book to impact how you can shape the people that you're inspiring, the groups that you're leading. and I think for me, I wanted to touch on some of these. And so Dan and I are going to go back and forth on three of the passages that we wanted to have you speak on and touch on, if you don't mind, Jim. Happy to. Sure. Well, that's why we got the book in front of us. This is Danny. Um, let's see. On, on page 52, you make the point that a choral singer knows that after his voice and his ears, his most important tool is the pencil he uses to notate the music. Marking in the conductor's instructions on where to breathe and anything else having to do with the interpretations of the music. That really involves the singer marks not only his own part, but also the parts of others because that helps him better understand the piece as a whole. And I tell you from growing up and playing music, playing classical trumpet for so long and making that transition to jazz, and it was very difficult for me when I made it, but there's always the conductor who he or she has their way of interpreting the music. And it's for all of us to be able to understand our role of what we read, but yet how we follow the conductor. And so we all have our components. We all have our parts. Can you, can you talk a little bit on that just for a brief moment? Sure. Yeah. So as you alluded to, I'm a longtime choral singer and soloist, you know, as a vocalist. And, you know, it's interesting. I thought there were some analogies there for leadership, which is true, because I, some, occasionally I do get to, to be the person up front to conduct our church choir, and, you know, you need to be engaged. And as, as you point out, the pencil's really important. No, no professional musician will ever show up to a rehearsal without a pencil, because, you know, as a, uh, a former boss of mine used to say, he'd tap his head and he'd say, this is for thinking, and he'd hold up a pencil and he'd say, this is for remembering. Right, and we, we need to mark our parts so we know what it is the conductor wants because the conductor is the one who's, who's dictating how we're going to interpret the music. And we need to be a part of that. And, and the more we can do that and sort of assimilate it and then 
be out of our scores, to have our noses out of the book, as I say, when we talk about choral singing, the more we're going to interact and engage with that conductor and the better the performance is going to be. And the analogy that I you know, try to make is that as a leader, we sort of sit in all of those chairs, right? We've, we've got to, if we're, if we're the conductor, if we're the one leading the team, we've also got to not have our eyes down on the score in front of us, right? We've got to be up and seeing what the group is doing and interacting and engaging with them. In other words, we've got to be there for them when they look up to us for leadership, you know, and other times we've got to get down in the trenches and do what they're doing. Uh, and the, the third thing I would say there is that are, you know, as important as your voice or as important as your instrument are your ears. Because the, the more you're paying attention and we, you know, we try to hammer this into, you know, every choir member effort, the, the more you're paying attention and really listening to what's going on around you, the better you understand your own role in it and the better the final product is going to be. I love that, Jim. This is David. It's, it's so important to understand your impact to the overall vision of the organization. And as a leader, you're not just leading for, quote unquote, your department, you're leading for the entire organization to be successful. And you never know when you're going to be put in a position where you have to fill in a role or step up to a need. And this is why it's important not only to know your part, but to understand the parts of others. My mentor, when I first went into the full-time ministry, or at least when I first went into ministry in 1994, is still someone I speak with today. And we speak probably about once every week or two. And he told me something earlier on. He said, Dave, you don't have to be the expert in everything. But if you can know a little bit about everything, that's how a leader engages. That's how a leader brings people together. Because I guarantee you that person who's chairing that department believes that that role is the most important in the, in the company. And yet the person that's chairing another department thinks the role is the most important. But if you can help them connect and realize that working together collectively will make the organization better, that's when the company succeeds. So I appreciate you making that point. I want to touch on something you said in, 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 on page 90 of your book. And I love how you, you bring this reference to the Philadelphia Eagles and the backup quarterback, Nick Foles. Okay, I got to share this because this was pretty Philly cool special. for me. Yeah, the Philly special, how he did it. Uh, I want to read this here because in this press conference after the game, after they won the Super Bowl, Nick Foles was asked a question about what he wanted fans to take away from his experience or from what, what happened. And here's what Nick said. He said, I think the big thing is don't be afraid to fail. In our society today, you know, Instagram, Twitter, it's the highlight world. It's all good things. And then when you look at it, you think like, wow, when you have a rough day or your life's not good, you're failing. Failure is a part of life. That's a part of building character and growing. Like without failure, who would you be? I wouldn't be here if I hadn't fallen down a thousand times, made mistakes. We're all human. We all have weaknesses. It's a highlight world. True words have never been spoken. You talk about failure and you reference this because it's so important for us to not stay down. We got to keep getting up. You never know when you're going to have to go into the game. You never know when you're going to have to go and answer that call and the entire organization, the entire situation is dependent on you becoming that leader. I wanted to share that because I appreciate how you made the point that failure is only failure if you give up. Yeah, that, that is just the most remarkable little moment for me because here's a guy who not only was the ultimate underdog, you know, winning, you know, the, the biggest game in football, 
But I mean, he's literally still in his sweats after the game, uh, you know, and it's not, I'm going to Disney World. He's talking about how social media skews our perceptions of everybody yeah. else. And I think it's brilliant. I mean, it, it ties back to our earlier part of this discussion, guys, where we talk about getting out of our comfort zones because sometimes you are going to fail. Yeah. And that's okay, right? We still have to try. And, it, and then it speaks to this whole skewing of what we see by social media. I mean, I won't say nobody, but a lot fewer people go on social media and say, I'm having marital trouble or I'm depressed or things are not good at work. No, we see their vacation photos, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see them eating dinner at some restaurant that seems expensive or, you know, what, whatever it is. And it, it does skew our perceptions. Absolutely. And, you know, that's without even getting into the way it's engineered to sort of you know, push our hot buttons and pit us against each other politically. I don't know. I mean, that's a rabbit hole I don't want to go down. But that 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 Nick Foles thing is just a a remarkable little moment for me. Yeah, that's fantastic. This is Danny. I want to uh, stay on a little bit more about that. On page uh, one hundred five of your book, within this section of the book entitled "Handing Off the Ball," you say this, but the upside is so much greater. Nearly every employee wants a path to increase responsibilities. And the more engaged you can keep your team, the more likely you are to stick around. Let your good people do good things and they'll attract even more good people. Uh, were you referencing um, that together when you talk about handing off the ball? Can you tell the audience a little bit more about that? Because really that goes back to the very, very beginning. We talked about it before, about why people leave and why people stick, why people stay. We talk about the culture of the people. We talk about why people want to stick around. So here in your book in page 105, you, you have it entitled Handing Off the Ball. Can you talk a little yeah. bit more about that? Yeah, and, and I think the point is, you know, that we're inclined as leaders or as people with a certain title, maybe it would be a better way to put it, sort of put our arms around our little fiefdom and say, hey, that's mine. I don't need any help. I don't want anybody else to do this, you know. And you, you've got to be willing to, I mean, not only hand off the ball to your successor, but to allow people to help you in the moment. Uh, as, as we talked about a little bit, you know, I had three guys who were probably all far more qualified than I was to be Scoutmaster, but for one reason or another, just couldn't do it at that moment in their lives, but all accepted the challenge of being scout ma uh, assistant Scoutmasters. And because of that, because of their skills and their ability to be my training wheels while I learned on the job as Scoutmaster, you know, the troop thrived. And, you know, we, we can't ever think, and, and I say this, is, and I am a, I'll do it myself guy to this day. I, you know, I don't always practice what I preach, I'll admit it. But, you know, we can't, we can't always do it ourselves. We, we need to be able to hand off the ball. As, as it says there, we need to be able to share our responsibilities. We need to be able to empower our others around us to do things, because I think that's really the sign of a secure leader. That's it. That's so true. This is Dave again. And I love that you said that these are signs of a secure leader. And we think about building for the next generation. There are times we don't know how to let go. And I know for me, I recently just brought on, brought on an assistant because there's aspects of what I'm trying to build that I can't keep my arms around. And you have to be able to trust that there are others that can build, maybe even take it higher than what you're doing. But overall, we all have the same goal. You, you mentioned something here. I know this goes into a little bit of one of your Scoutmaster Minutes on page 147, but you talk about the three guidelines. And I love this and how it came up because part of being a Scoutmaster is not just the ultimate goal of helping to become 
um, Eagle Scouts or the rank of, of Eagle Scout, but you're really helping to shape them become great leaders and responsible leaders within society. And we talk about integrity, but I love how you talked about these three guidelines. And you, you said here that um, raise your hand once a day in each of your classes, do something nice for someone else every day and meet someone new each week. And our social media society or the society that, that our younger generation has, they're, they're more challenged. We're learning to become more personal with each other. They're challenged with learning to build relationships if it's not with their phones or on the internet, right? And so the, the, the simple things of, you know what, just raise your hand, stay engaged, stay informed, um, do something nice for somebody. I, I, I can't tell you how challenging that could be that you go throughout your day and you go throughout your week and you haven't really lifted your hands up to do something for someone that they couldn't do for themselves. And then lastly, you said, meet someone new. I, I just thought these are simple little principles. You're teaching these young men, but in reality, they're principles we all can follow. Yeah, and, and in fairness, I can't take credit for those. They were the product of a conversation I had with yep. a random stranger at a scouting event, I think it was. I, I, yep. A gentleman I didn't know, we were just chatting. And he said, yeah, my three rules for my kids are this or guidelines, I guess he called them, not rules. And I thought, wow, that's something that the rest of my guys should hear because that, that's it's just good advice. You know, it's about being engaged and it's about, you know, these days getting off your devices and actually interacting with human beings. But that was always a goal of mine with the Scoutmaster Minutes. I mean, independent of, you know, the, the leadership skills that we're trying to develop and all of that, those kids, you know, Boy Scouts are 11 to 17 years old. And that is an age when we really, really need some other positive voices in our ears. And I tried to be that positive voice. And, and you'll look at some of the Scoutmaster Minutes in the book and you go, well, you know, sure, who, who doesn't know that? But, you know, maybe the first time a 14 or 15 year old heard it. Uh, and, you know, so I tried very hard to, A, you know, do that, do things that I thought were important for them to hear. And also to do things that sort of, again, were beyond scouting, things that engage the whole the whole young man and not just the, the boy scouting part. Jim, I appreciate you sharing that. This is Dave again, and I love how we've been able to take some time, and I know it's just a snapshot of your work and your heart. And so for our audience today, like I said, I wanna share this one more time. You gotta go grab Jim's book, Leader by Accident. You could go to his website, leaderbyaccident.com to get more information about Jim. If you wanna bring him on as a keynote speaker, or even just grab a bunch of these books for your organization. Jim, thank you for sharing about how important it is to step out of our comfort zone. We've got to step out. We've got to be able to grow. We've got to stretch ourselves. And we might even be surprised by how much we change just by that simple decision. I appreciate how you talk about we got to live a life of gratitude. It's important that we are grateful for the moments that we have, where that we are grateful for the ability to impact and influence the people that are around us. And then I love how you stated that words have incredible power. You know, my challenge today and my encouragement for those that are listening is, what are going to be the Scoutmaster minutes in your life? What are the words that you're going to walk away with, the nuggets that you're going to give to other people? Because if we do this, I believe without a doubt that we're going to become leaders by intention and not just leaders by accident. Jim, thank you for joining my twin and I. We're so grateful that you could be a part of our program and I know without a doubt that more and more of our listeners are going to be able to learn more from this book and grab more of you. Thank you, Jim, for joining us. Thank you guys so much. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSP Leadership and visit us online at dspleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.